We hear God's word from the Gospel according to Matthew and chapter 26, beginning to read at verse 17. It's on page 996 in the Bibles that are available to you. Matthew 26, this is the account of the Lord's Supper according to Matthew at verse 17. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely not I, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. Jesus answered, Yes, it is you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you, in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's natural on this first Sunday of the new year that we should be looking ahead. So much in the media reminds us about the expectations that people have of 2011. Let's have a quick look at 2011, shall we? It will only take you 12 seconds. (laughs) What are these months going to mean for you as they whip past? They'll soon be happening. Don't you be surprised at that. 
So what did it mean for you? Was there one month that stood out? Was there one uh, economic cloud that uh, you know is going to burst upon you? Some personal matter that you're not looking forward to? Well, I'm going to ask you to look ahead this evening. But I want you to look much, much farther ahead than what we've just seen on that calendar. Because I want you to look with me at the account that we have of the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26. And I want to show you from verse 29 that the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was facing something world-shattering in his own life, was looking ahead much, much farther than the next day or the next few weeks, or the next few months. I tell you, he said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. The Lord Jesus used the Last Supper to think not about the next day, but about the last day and to say that his perspective with his friends there on that fateful night was to look right ahead to the kingdom of God. So that's what I want us to do for a little while this evening. This is the perspective which I believe is going to help us to see 2011 in the right perspective when we look ahead to God's kingdom. There are just four things I want to look at from this text. That God's kingdom is our real future. It's a real future for the people of God. It is our real reunion. It's going to be a reunion of all of the people of God. It's going to be our real celebration. We're not looking forward to something dour and something which we can't avoid. It is a celebration that Jesus is looking forward to. And it's a real encouragement. Did you come to church tonight looking for encouragement? You will find it if you have this perspective and look ahead to God's kingdom. That's the four things we're going to see from this text this evening. First of all then, that God's kingdom is our real future. But of course... As you well know, and as you notice as we read through this passage, it all happened as they were celebrating looking backwards. They were looking back to the Passover. The Passover was the occasion when the people of Israel looked back over the centuries to that night when the sacrificial lamb was killed, the blood was smeared on the doorposts, and death passed over the homes of God's people who believed in what he said and sacrificed the animal on their behalf. Jesus is now linking his cross with that Passover. He says, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This blood which he is going to shed is the Passover blood being fulfilled. Indeed, all the Old Testament sacrifices in their 
many, many thousands that have been offered through the years were all prefiguring what Jesus was going to do on the cross the next day. And as he is looking back, he is saying, there is something happening here, which is the fulfillment of all of that. And today, as we eat this bread and drink this wine, we look back to him. But even as he is looking back, he is also looking ahead. He is pointing ahead to God's kingdom. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. You see, forgiving our sins of the past is only one aspect of that glorious redemption which he achieved for us on the cross. Vital though it is, it is only one part of what is called here the Father's Kingdom. Now if you were to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, where there is a, a fuller account of this same incident, in Luke 22, uh, Luke tells us that Jesus made more than one reference to God's Kingdom on this occasion. Luke 22 at verse 16. <coughs> I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. He is deliberately saying here, this Passover will find its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to the words that are recounted in, in Matthew's Gospel, For I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then just a few verses later, in verse 29 in Luke 22, I confer on you a kingdom. That's a very strong word. It's the same word that's used for covenant. I give a covenant to you of my kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. What is God's kingdom earlier is now my kingdom, says the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in this whole incident, his mind is fixed on the need of his people, on the death of the cross, but much farther forward to the kingdom of God, which is yet to come. We are very familiar with reading on these occasions how Paul reminds the church at Corinth about the origins of the Lord's Supper. There he uses just those simple words. He says, you do this until he comes. Until he comes for what? He, until he comes to establish his kingdom. You see, we enter the kingdom of God now when we're saved, when we are brought to faith in Christ. We become members of his kingdom. We are now already members of his kingdom. But all that that entails, the end of all our enemies, the defeat of all those dark things that we were singing about, the establishing of Christ's reign over the new heaven and the new earth, that is something yet to come. The resurrection of all who have died before us, this is something which is going to be part of the manifesting of the kingdom of God. He says, look forward to that. That's our real future. Not just that day of his death, but that day of his return and of all that that will enclose.
And so it is that we think about this as being not just a real future for God's people, but a real reunion for God's people. Will you look closely at the text? It says, when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He's thinking about his disciples. He's thinking about his people. He says, it's going to be with you. He's not celebrating his kingdom on his own. And we know from all that the Bible tells us that it's going to be an occasion when all God's children will be gathered together. Now here we do have to pause to say something that a lot of people don't want to hear. But Jesus was very blunt about it. There are many of his parables in which he says, it is only for his children. This is not universal, this kingdom. It is only for his children. Some of his most solemn words are about returning and separating the sheep from the goats in separating those who are not his children from those who are his children. Only the children of God will enjoy the blessing of that kingdom. Those who have left their selfishness and trusted in Jesus as their new Lord and there's their saviour. God in his great mercy has provided a way for even sinners like us to enter into his kingdom. Again in, in Luke's gospel in uh, an earlier passage in Luke chapter 12 the Lord Jesus Christ put it in these wonderful words Luke 12 and verse 32. Do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. When I was a teenager the uh, so at the age of some of these friends here this evening, we had a pastor from Scotland and uh, he was a very dour Scotsman in one sense. But I well remember his face when he was preaching about good things. His face really shone. And I can still remember his preaching on this text from the King, King James Version when he says, It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And I saw the pleasure on that man's face. The pleasure of God giving us his kingdom. That's the kind of God we have. But only to those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is for all of those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible shows us that when this world's history ends and when that day comes, something will happen which our little minds cannot really grasp. Because time is going to come to an end, it won't matter how long it takes for all of God's people to come together. Those from every generation, years before us, centuries before us, those from far off places that we have never met before, but we shall meet on that day. Those who will be together from every different Christian denomination who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I should be looking forward to meeting some Christians of the past whose books I've read and whose things I've, I've been able to benefit by. I should be looking forward to meeting some of my own family who have gone ahead of me. Some of you know that in this past year we lost my wife's dear brother James who was a very, very close friend. He was the best man at our wedding and I 
sat with him on the day before he died. But what did we do? We read together about the days that God has prepared for his beloved people. And I shall see him again. Our dear friends, Alan and Jill, have lost Alan's father yesterday. Jill spoke to me on the phone last night and said how grateful they were over the last few weeks. They've had the opportunity of witnessing to him, help him to come from a general religious faith that he had to a real knowledge of Jesus and an assurance that they're going to see him again one day. Doesn't this make a great difference to us? That we can look forward to that day as the great reunion of all the people of God. No wonder then we can call it, further here, we can call it a real celebration. Because that's what it is. Wine is used in the Bible often as a symbol of celebration. The new heaven and the new earth are going to be so wonderful that the Bible has to use picture language to communicate it to us. It was an everyday thing for them to have vines and to have wine. But look at the the Old Testament for a moment, if you can. Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah 25 and verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine and the best of meats and the finest of wines. It's picture language, isn't it? Verse 8 says it's about this. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Jesus uses this as a picture of a wonderful celebration. When he came to do his first miracle. Do you know what it was? To turn water into wine. Of course water is a wonderful thing to drink in a hot country. But he's saying here's something even better, even richer, even more wonderful that he's going to do for his people. You see this life at its best, 2011 at its best, is going to be marked by weakness and sickness and death, and trouble. But that's not the world that God made, and that's not the age that he's going to bring us into. He's going to bring us to a time where it will be all that God is in holiness, and in beauty, and in joy. And he likens it to a marriage feast, doesn't he? He says it's a celebration where the bridegroom and the bride are brought together. You see, the feast is in honour of Jesus. It's a celebration which we shall enjoy, but it's in honour of Jesus. And we have to say with, with all reality from God's word that the people who don't love Jesus here will not enjoy that heaven. They would not enjoy it. Because so much will be made of Jesus. He will be its centre. He will be its light. He will be its happiness. He will be the one who is the master whom we are happy to serve without sin. And it's in honour of Jesus 
that we start to remember him here at this table. You know, this, this table that we have here is symbolic in a number of ways. Yes, the bread and the wine do symbolize for us the body and blood of Jesus. But even the act of reaching out and taking the bread and putting it into your own mouth, that is a, a symbolic picture to us of what Christian faith is. Christian faith is saying all these things that are in Christ, all this forgiveness, all this joy, all this hope, it's all in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, as a poor sinner, with nothing to commend myself to him in his majesty, can take my hand and reach it out and receive this Christ into my life. And those are the people who are going to be celebrating with him on that last day and for all eternity. To receive him is to receive the assurance of that celebration. The fourth thing then I want you to notice from this brief look at this verse is that God's kingdom is our real encouragement. It's our real encouragement. You see, this <coughs> is what enabled Jesus to go through with his death. This is what enabled Jesus to go through with his death. I didn't know that Jeff was going to read from Hebrews at the beginning of this service, but I want you to turn it up now because it's a key verse. Hebrews chapter 12 is pointing us to the Lord Jesus. Verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's what this service is about. That's what heaven is about. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. But look at this who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How did he endure the cross? By a sense that it was his father's will? Yes. By the strength that the angels gave to him as he was struggling in the garden? Yes. But here the Bible says what enabled him to endure the cross was the joy of the kingdom that lay before him. Not merely the joy of his resurrection, though that was wonderful. Not merely the joy of the ascension as he was taken back to heaven for the angels to celebrate him there. This man's joy, this saviour's joy, is in the kingdom where all his people will be together. And that enabled him to go through with the cross itself in all its agony and all its pain. And he wants his people to share that encouragement and to share that joy. That's why he is telling them, I tell you, he says, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. That's why I think this perspective is so important for us. Because it will enable us to face up to our uncertain future. To whatever 2011 is going to mean for us. We can face that 
if we have this perspective. Recently, some fans of John Lennon were celebrating the fact that he died 30 years ago. Some of you weren't born when John Lennon was killed. He was a very famous singer and songwriter. His most famous song is called Imagine. But you know how it starts? I'll read it to you. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. What a terrible commentary on popular culture, both 30 years ago and now. That they want to imagine there is no heaven and no hell. It's easy to imagine that and millions and millions of people want that to be true. But it isn't true, is it? There is such a thing as a hell to shun. And there is, by the grace of God, such a thing as a kingdom, a heaven to look forward to. Do some of you read the Evangelicals Now newspaper? This is my copy of the December issue. And in it there's an account of something absolutely terrifying that happened to a woman missionary and her three daughters. They were in Zimbabwe earlier in the year. And some of you will know the story. The husband was away visiting someone and late in the evening she was at home with her three daughters and armed men came into the house. Real guns, real fear, real terror. Somebody had told them there was lots of money in the house. And in God's goodness, they were able to persuade these men that once she'd emptied her wallet, she had nothing else to give to him. And the experience was terrifying in the extreme. But whilst the men were in the house, she was reading the promises of God to her little girls. And it says in her testimony here, the perspective of eternity has been made more real for us knowing that God is keeping us for that day when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. What strong comfort it is to realize that we have nothing to fear, nothing to lose, if our eternal security is guaranteed in Christ. What would you rather have? The despair of John Lennon? Imagine there's no heaven. Or the real comfort and encouragement of that dear woman and her children. That they have nothing to fear when their eternal security is guaranteed in Christ. My friends, our loving Saviour has given us this table to remember him. To remind us of the price he paid. The sufferings he endured. The victory he won. So that we can look ahead to the Father's kingdom. 
So it's not just looking ahead to next week. Not just the next month. Not just the next year. But to the next age. The era beyond this life. The glorious age of God's eternal kingdom. It's our privilege because of the real events that took place on the day when Jesus died. And as all those promises of his death, his atonement, his sufferings, his resurrection and his ascension were fulfilled, so certainly will the promises of return be fulfilled. And his people will rejoice with him in his father's kingdom.